We would like to welcome you to another edition, the first in our wonderful new year that we're all looking forward to, with a certain degree of um, optimism, and uh, justifiably so, our first show of the new year, and it is the jazz show on CITR. And, of course, my name is Gavin Walker. I'm your host here, as uh, I have been in the past year. (laughs) I'm going to be here this year, too. And uh, I'd like to wish each and every one of you out there a very, very happy and prosperous and contented and stress-free New Year. With that in mind, we're going to get on with the show. And our jazz feature this evening is a wonderful album that was actually recorded back in the early days. Um, Well, I'm talking about the early days of of LP recording. Uh, Most recordings were sort of the two-and-a-half-minute variety things that uh, were featured on 78 RPM records. Many of you, (laughs) a lot of people don't even know what records are anymore, but uh, 78 RPM records. And um, these pieces of music that we're going to hear this evening were specifically recorded for an LP, Um, but they don't stretch out very much longer than about four and a half minutes, but uh, definitely a longer time than you would find on an old 78 RPM record. Anyway, regardless, um, the music is by trombonist J.J. Johnson, and of course J.J. Johnson was one of the pioneers of modern jazz trombone. He is as important to that instrument as Charlie Parker is to the alto saxophone, Dexter Gordon is to the tenor saxophone, Dizzy to the trumpet, Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Bud Powell to the piano, Max Roach to the drums, etc., etc. He was a modern jazz pioneer. He really was the most authoritative voice and most influential voice of the trombone. And, of course, J.J. Johnson led a long and productive life. He also had a couple of other talents. He was a composer and an arranger. And if you listen to the recordings over the years by J.J. Johnson, they were always marked by great organization and um, de- um, wonderful, even if the band was put together just for the recording, it sounded like a working band. J.J. Johnson insisted um, that the music be tight and well-rehearsed and well-played. And this particular session is very much like that. It's not a jam uh, kind of a informal thing. Let's play a few tunes and a blues and leave. Uh, uh-uh. This is a very, very well-organized uh, band. Even though it wasn't a working band, it, um, it has that feel that it was a working band. They were only put together for this date. As a matter of fact, it was recorded in New York City, June the 22nd, 1953. J.J. Johnson wasn't, at the time, uh, 
a lot of people think, you know, that's sort of like a golden era of jazz. No, there were a lot of out-of-work musicians in, in, back in the early 50s. Um, there were no big bands to employ it. Well, there were a few, but not that many big bands. The big band uh, days were over, so there were a lot of unemployed musicians. J.J. Johnson, as great as he was, was basically not a full-time musician at this time. He was working as a draftsman for the Sperry Gyroscope Company. And um, he was a a talented and well-educated man, uh, but... That's what he had to do to support his family. And music was, uh, at the time, for a couple of years, was an avocation rather than a profession. And uh, and yet he was able to make this recording. And, of course, his playing, you'd never know it. Um, that's just kind of a, a anecdotal information. But um, the band is absolutely incredible. Clifford Brown, the young herald of the trumpet, who only had three more years to live before he was tragically killed in a car crash. Clifford Brown uh, is on this date, and he, on a couple of tracks, really steals the show. He is absolutely amazing. He's only 22 years old. On tenor saxophone, and he plays some baritone saxophone as well in the sections, is the wonderful Jimmy Heath. And Jimmy is the surviving member of this stellar organization. Jimmy Heath, um, his solos on tenor are very, very much, um, they're his own, but uh, kind of, uh, I think of his tenor back then as kind of Rollins-like. There's a similarity between his playing and Sonny Rollins of this time. And um, I love Jimmy Heath's tenor saxophone work on all of these tracks. And, of course, we'll hear his uh, baritone saxophone in the ensembles only on a couple of tunes. On piano is another gentleman um, who is a wonderful organizer uh, as well, sort of like Thinker. Um, He and J.J. Johnson actually were very close and um, very close in ideas, too, and how music should go. And I'm talking about pianist John Lewis. And uh, I love John Lewis's solos. Now, I, I used to dismiss John because I thought he was unexciting and um, not a particularly interesting pianist, and uh, I was really mistaken. Uh, John Lewis is, uh, when I hear his solos, any of his solos, I, I just love them. They're, they're, they're models of economy and melodic beauty. So John Lewis at the piano, and he he knows exactly what to play behind the horns. Great, great pianist. On bass, uh, Jimmy Heath's older brother, the redoubtable and wonderful Percy Heath, one of the mainstays of modern jazz bass. And on drums, another modern jazz pioneer. He was really the very first modern jazz drummer. And I'm talking about Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark, and I guess a little later on, Max Roach uh, would lay claim that uh, they were the two uh, preeminent modern drummers. But Kenny Clark was there before Max, and he was playing in a very modern style um, way before uh, Max Roach was even known on, on the scene. So Kenny Clark's drumming really enhances this recording session. And the tunes are so great. And I'll get to them uh, when we get to play the music. I'd just like to tell you a little story. I don't want to go on too long because I know you want to hear this music. But 
this recording and, and the reason I'm playing this as the jazz feature is this recording shaped or helped shape um, my concept and what I liked about modern jazz. Now, I, I became aware of this recording when I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old, <laughs> it sounds like a um, beginning of a long story here, and it could be long, but I'm, I'm going to try and keep it short. Um, when I was 12 years old, my family moved back uh, from New York City back to Montreal, and my dad uh, worked uh, in the United States, and uh, um, that was uh, why we lived in New York. And during that time, my interest in jazz grew. This was in New York because there was a lot of jazz on the radio. There were some good record stores, and I was moving, I was changing my taste in music. Uh, I was beginning to listen to, and he really opened the door for me, uh, early recordings by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. And it was Brubeck that kind of moved me into the modern era. My taste in jazz up to that time was a uh, small group uh, swing from the 30s, Benny Goodman's Sextet, Benny Goodman Quartet, Count Basie's small bands, Duke Ellington's small bands, Lionel Hampton's small bands. That's the stuff that I really liked and and. Uh, was my introduction to jazz, but I was beginning to change. I was beginning to move into modern jazz, and uh, that exposure of a lot of uh, radio programs in New York City at the time was was really, uh, really developing my interest in modern jazz. I became aware a little more of uh, people like Miles Davis, of of uh, definitely Charlie Parker. And, and so on. But it was Dave Brubeck that, that really moved me into that. So what happened was that we moved back to Montreal, and I had a bunch of things to do. Uh, we moved into a new house in a new neighborhood, so I had some new friends to make. I also um, re-entered Canadian schools again, which were different from American schools, so I had to make an adjustment there. But I was also um, getting... Uh, reasonably good on the clarinet, and we had, uh, um, my parents couldn't afford a saxophone, but I had rented one, and so my next move uh, after we moved back to Montreal was to find a music teacher and not a fusty old um, uh, classical teacher that, that hated jazz music. Most of my music teachers up to that time hated jazz music. As soon as I mentioned the word, they, they, they just said, no, 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 that's not even music. They dismissed it, uh, much to my disappointment. So I wanted to find a teacher that was hip to jazz and, and was possibly an active musician. And I was very fortunate. My dad recommended that I go down to this particular music store in Montreal. And I went, I found a teacher. He was a working musician, and he was a great guy, and I had, uh, he did, did me a lot of incredible favors and, of course, helped me um, improve my clarinet skills and helped me rent uh, a reasonably good saxophone uh, so that I could work on that. So that was done. The next thing I had to do was to, I found out that there was a jazz society in Montreal. I had no idea, and it was called the Eminon Jazz Society, and I thought, Damn it, I'm going to go down and join this thing. Here I was, 12 years old, headed downtown in Montreal and decided to sign up for the Jazz uh, Society if I could get in. I wasn't even sure. And, of course, they 
welcomed me, which was great. I signed up, paid my membership. I still have my membership card to this day. It's kind of a souvenir for me. And I met all these um, they were much older than me, of course, by at least 10 years, uh, jazz fans and all the prominent musicians at the time in Montreal uh, because we had, ses- we had live sessions and I got turned on to um, books on jazz. I got turned on to uh, all the latest records and I was really able to um, enhance my enjoyment of the music by the, these associations. And the nice thing about it was even though I was 12 years old, I was accepted by all these older um, people as an equal. And um, I wasn't treated, I wasn't talked down to. Um, I, I had a lot of questions, I had them answered um, with no problem. So I thought that was very cool. And I really appreciated that time because it really helped me grow as, as, uh, in, into my love of, of jazz music. Okay, so we'll get to the idea of this recording. One of the meetings of the Jazz Society I was at, and I met these two um, young Frenchmen, but they weren't French-Canadians. They weren't Montrealers. They were from France. They were from Paris. And they were two brothers, and they were dedicated jazz fans. And they spoke French in a way that I had never heard before because my French was Quebecois French. And these guys spoke with a smooth kind of Parisian accent. I had never met a Parisian Frenchman before, uh, French people before. Um, I knew a lot of French Canadians, of course, grew up with them. But, wow. Anyway, these guys were very friendly, and, and, uh, the, and they were funny and good. And after the meeting, they invited me back to their home um, to meet their parents and have dinner with them and show me their huge record collection. So, of course, I was anxious to see all this, and uh, I went there, and, of course, the record collection was just enormous. Uh, I hadn't seen a private record collection like this, and I just was just drooling over all the, all the music that was there. So I had a very nice dinner. Their parents were great. It was time for me to head home. And just as I was heading home, they said, Look, I know we know that you love this music, and we know that you know how to take care of records because we were watching you put some on, on our record player because I we had a sort of a listening session and you handle the records really well you don't put your fingers on 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 them you all this kind of stuff you handle them by the sides the way they're supposed to be and are gentle with them if you like um why don't you pick out a half a dozen records take them home for two weeks and bring them back to the next jazz society meeting take them home and listen to them so i went and picked out six albums. I'm not going to get into all the six. One of the albums is our jazz feature. Anyway, I took the records home, and of course I drove my parents absolutely crazy because I insisted uh, in the two weeks that I listened every day after school I came home. That was the first thing I headed for the record player, turn it up, listen to the records. And of course, even though my, my parents were, were, they weren't great jazz lovers, they put up with me. Um, I listened to them when we were having supper together. I had the record, I had the record player on, turned it up loud, 
parents wanted to talk about their day, but <laughs> the music was blaring, and I wasn't going to turn it down. And they were they were they were pretty good. Anyway, those six albums really formed uh, because I was able to listen to them over and over and over again. A lot of my um, concept of of jazz and what I liked uh, in jazz music and. Uh, this record, our jazz feature record, was one of the ones that I borrowed. And this is, this is one of the reasons why I'm going to play it for you tonight on the jazz feature. So that's my story. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, little uh, foray. And uh, we're going to get to the music right away. Once again, the personnel, J.J. Johnson on trombone, Clifford Brown on trumpet, Jimmy Heath on tenor saxophone and section baritone, John Lewis on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Kenny Clark on drums. And this was issued on a Blue Note 10-inch record um, called the J.J. Johnson Sextet. And the tunes, we're going to open with a version of, um, it's a great standard tune by Ted Kohler and Harold Arlen's tune called Get Happy, and it's an arrangement by J.J. Johnson. We're actually going to hear two versions of that tune. So this was uh, one of the tunes recorded. This is an alternate take that we're going to open with, and it's a great version. And then we're going to hear this same tune at the very end of the jazz feature. So the first tune, Get Happy. The second tune is by alto saxophonist composer Gigi Grice, one of his most charming melodies. It's called Capri. It's tune number two. Third tune is a ballad that was put on the jazz map by Billie Holiday and played beautifully by the band and J.J. Johnson, the tune Lover Man. And then we move to uh, one of the most exciting tracks of the whole album. It's J.J. Johnson's original composition called Turnpike. And then we go to a a very uh, distinguished and kind of, um, uh, um, I don't know how to describe this piece. It's rather... um, it's just, it's a very serious uh, and yet uh, very sort of noble-sounding piece of music written by John Lewis. And uh, it's a lovely piece of music, and it's called Sketch One. Then um, the other horns drop out, and J.J. Johnson takes uh, the next tune all to himself, and it's a great um, tune by Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Hughes, another standard tune, a ballad, and it's called It Could Happen to You. And then we're going to close with the master take of Get Happy once again. And um, that's, that's it. June 22nd, 1953, in WOR Studios in New York City for Blue Note Records, the J.J. Johnson Sextet, our jazz feature this evening, beginning with Get Happy.
Thank <laughs> you. 
And that's it, our jazz feature this evening, the eminent J.J. Johnson on trombone. That was the J.J. Johnson sextet. And as I mentioned uh, in the long preamble, this was a, a recording 
that I first heard when I was a very young man, and it uh, kind of shaped um, my taste in jazz music at the time and uh, was very influential, I think, in my um, musical growth, as uh, not only as a musician but as a person as well. And this album represented J.J. Um, Johnson as a player, as an arranger, and uh, as a composer, and as an organizer. The music is, is very, uh, very tight. It's not uh, kind of a loose jam session quality, and yet it retains all the wonderful spontaneity that uh, is the most important part of jazz music. And, of course, the, uh, the blues tonality throughout. All these guys are great soloists, um, even in these uh, early days. Um, the people involved here, of course, J.J. Johnson, one of the great masters of the trombone, and definitely along with Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Monk, uh, Bud Powell, Max Roach, he was a pioneer of modern jazz and was the really the first and most definitive uh, voice of the trombone. He wasn't the only one, but he was definitely on top. J.J. Johnson, a wonderful musician, and he, of course he is sorely missed to this day. And I must say that uh, he was a fellow Aquarian as well. That's pretty cool. J.J. Johnson. And the other people involved in the band were the young trumpet sensation Clifford Brown from Wilmington, Delaware. And Clifford, of course, had a tragically short life, cut, cut short by this uh, horrible automobile accident in June of 1956. On this recording, which was done June 22, 1953, Clifford Brown was 22 years old. Amazing, amazing ability on the trumpet. And uh, such a beautiful sound and concept. And he stole the show on a couple of tunes. On tenor saxophone, Jimmy Heath. And he was heard uh, in on baritone saxophone uh, just in the section on a couple of tunes as well. But uh, all his solos, of course, were on tenor saxophone. Jimmy Heath um, exhibiting a, a very sort of Sonny Rollins-like concept and uh, sounding very much like Jimmy Heath. And he is the only surviving member of this stellar organization. Jimmy, of course, was one of the stars of last year's Vancouver International Jazz Festival and uh, still is uh, out there doing it. Jimmy Heath on piano, someone who was close in spirit to J.J. Johnson uh, because he was a composer, arranger as well, and believed in musical organization before you go into the recording studio. And that was the redoubtable John Lewis on piano, holding things together, playing his delightful solos, and, of course, backing the horns with um, taste, swing, and um, just playing all the right notes, John Lewis. On bass, the one and only Percy Heath, Jimmy Heath's older brother. Big P on bass. And on drums, another pioneer of modern jazz, someone who was the first modern jazz drummer, the great Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark on drums. And we'll be hearing a little more Kenny Clark uh, on another couple of pieces of music that I'm going to play a little later on in the show because Kenny Clark um, just celebrated a birthday, I, um, I believe, on the 3rd um, of January, and uh, he'll, he's on an album that we'll be uh, playing a little later on. 
So all of these were done for Blue Note Records, and it was these were produced for a long playing record. A 10-inch came out on a 10-inch LP, which were very common. 10-inch LPs were very common at the time. They were kind of phased out around 1955-56. You didn't see 10-inch LPs anymore. The 12-inch LP came to dominate the proceedings, and of course they that remained dominant until uh, CDs came along. And now, of course... Uh, CDs have been replaced by, you know, all, all the other uh, technological things. So there you go. Um, time marches on, of course. Anyhow, these recordings were issued on Blue Note Records, and they were done specifically for LP because the tunes are um, three to four minutes long. And uh, normally, if they were done for the old 78 RPM thing, they, the tunes would have to be restricted to about two minutes and two and a half minutes or so. So uh, we heard everybody got a little action on all these pieces. So we hope you enjoyed the jazz feature. That was a, a bit of a throwback for me but, and a way of opening up the first show of the New Year's on The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker. We have a couple of messages for you. We're going to come back with some fun music by a gentleman by the name of Bully Gaylord, better known as Slim Gaylord. He was one of the great characters of jazz. He was a singer, guitarist. He could play the drums. He could play two-fingered piano. Uh, he composed uh, all his own tunes. He was a master of the nonsense vocal. Uh, Slim Gaylord just made up these words. He had he had a whole bunch of words that he that he made up. They're all silly, nonsensical stuff. Slim Gaylord is a picture of fun, and his music is fun. Um, it, it was never and yet and yet with all the fun that Slim had, he was a good musician and respected. And um, Slim did a lot of gigs. Uh, he used one of the. Uh, mainstays that uh, things that Slim did was um, it, when a, famous, a couple of famous jazz bands were booked in a club, they'd have Slim come in as intermission entertainment to kind of uh, keep the crowd in the club and kind of uh, be a break from the seriousness of the music and yet still be very musically entertaining. And uh, Slim was hired to do this many, many times. And, and of course, uh, the musicians would stick around and listen to him because it, there was always something in his music, even though his songs were all kind of nonsense and fun and, and that sort of thing. They, were, they weren't... Uh, Slim was never political, uh, really, and, um, and he, he definitely wasn't satirical at all. He was just a, a big barrel of fun, and he celebrated his birthday today, um, there is some doubts about when he was born, but the accepted day is January 4th, 1916. And uh, so we're going to be celebrating some music by Slim Gaylord after these messages. So stick around for some fun in, uh, in music. Slim Gaylord, nobody like him. Hey, what's so sad? Oh, nothing really. <laughs> Not very convincing, Jane girl. Whatever it is, I've got just the cure for it. One, two, three, four. four. Just one. 
Did you know CITR has a women's collective? This brand new collective is all about providing and fostering a community for women who are or who want to be in radio, fighting the gender disparity in media, and centering women's voices and issues. If you are a female-identified person or ally who's already involved in radio or wants somewhere to start, this collective is for you. Email womenscollective at citr.ca for more information and to get involved. And tune in Friday at 6 p.m. for the collective show, Lady Radio, featuring music, interviews, events, news, commentary, basically anything we care to talk about. See you then. Well, how do you like it? There's only one word for it. Terrific. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkamenim speaking Musqueam people. All right, we're back, and we're going to be listening to. This is a famous recording session, actually. It was done with, of all people, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. I mentioned before that Slim Gaylord was, um, did intermission uh, performances. Clubs would hire him. He'd bring on his little band, play his guitar, sing his uh, nonsense songs, and entertain the people and keep them in the club and uh, that sort of thing. And uh, a lot of the musicians that were performing there would stick around and listen because Slim always had something to offer. Now, what happened was that Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker were playing in Hollywood. Um, this was their first trip to the West, uh, and they were playing at a club called Billy Berg's, and uh, this was the first introduction um, to the new music, uh, to Los Angelinos. And, um, well, <laughs> let's, let's put it this way. They weren't ready for Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, initially, they were. A lot of the mu musicians arrived, of course. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the music was just too much for uh, the people in L.A. They were way behind. Uh, they weren't very advanced musically. And uh, Dizzy Gillespie's music and Charlie Parker's music uh, scared the daylights out of them, and uh, the, the crowds um, sort of diminished. Um, but um, be that as it may, um, the, the owner of the club hired Slim Gaylord to uh, uh, perform while uh, the Parker Gillespie band was on a break. And this, how, this is how this record came about, because Dizzy and Charlie Parker uh, would stick around and listen to Slim and enjoy his, his nonsense songs and, and listen to his band and sometimes even get up and jam with him. So 
What happened was that on December 29, 1945, in Hollywood, uh, Slim had this record date for our small independent label, and he decided to ask Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker to join him, along with tenor saxophonist Jack McVie, um, a piano, young piano player that was working with Slim by the name of Dodo Marmorosa, um, his bass player, a guy named Bam Brown, um, who was uh, equally as funny as, as Slim, and the great Zooty Singleton on drums. And so all these guys got together um, in the studio and recorded uh, a bunch of tunes. We're going to hear three tunes from this um, uh, historic date with uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and um, a bunch of Slim Gaylord's guys. And Slim uh, plays the guitar, and he sings on here as well. So we'll hear his, uh, <laughs> his voice and all his nonsense songs. The first one is a song which was actually a hit for Slim, and everybody knew this uh, tune. We all used to sing it. My uncles used to sing this song. They, everybody, it was a, actually a, a big hit for Slim and kind of put him on the map. Uh, um, he recorded the original version uh, many years before this one. But this, so this is a remake of his famous song, Flatfoot Fluji. Flatfoot Fluji with a floy floy. Then the second tune is uh, dedicated to uh, motorcycle drivers, and it's called Poppity Pop. And the final tune is really the classic because it's one of the only recordings, uh, earliest recordings, that you hear Charlie Parker's speaking voice. And it's, uh, uh, he calls it Slim's Jam, and it's just kind of a funny repartee between the musicians and, and Slim. And uh, it's too bad that it doesn't go on longer than it does. But, of course, you know, you're limited to three-minute uh, uh, tunes uh, back in those days. So once again, Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, Jack McVie, one of my favorites, on tenor saxophone, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, Bam Brown on bass, Zudi Singleton on drums, and the gentleman whose birthday we're celebrating today, the legendary, wonderful, and crazy Slim Gaylord. And uh, we hope you enjoy this uh, little stuff here. Here we go.
Pop it to pop it to pop it to pop, go to motorcycle. Pop it to pop it to pop to pop, go to motorcycle. Pop it to pop it to pop it to pop, go to motorcycle. Pop it to pop it to pop it to pop, go to motorcycle. Blowing something, man. Got the next call. 
Sorry, that's a grave. Take it, you got it. with a little hot sauce on it. That'll just about fix it. Oh, here's it. Well, look at Charlie Yard, boy, the room. Hey, how's it going, Joe? Oh, everything is mellow, man. Look at this cat. Get his horn with the name. Yeah, blow I got some? my horn with me, man. I want to blow some, too. Yeah. I'm having a little reed trouble. I haven't got a reed? Yeah. Well, Mac has got a reed. He can trim it down a little. That's great. Yeah, I'm going oh, that's great. solid, then. Well, let's get together and blow. We need flat. Take the next one. You got it. Okay. All right. Three tunes from this historic session with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and the inimitable Bully Slim Gaylord. That was his, uh, his, his given name, Bully. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he was, a, um, as I said, a, um, definitely a unique individual and uh, well-loved on the jazz scene for many, many years. Slim passed away at 75 years old in London, England, in February of 1991. Also, I used to see him a lot. Um, he, he lived in Seattle for uh, a time, and uh, some of the jazz festivals and clubs would, would hire him as an intermission act, or he would, uh, he would be the introductory act to get everybody kind of warmed up for the for the serious music to follow and put everybody in a, in a good mood. And um, I, I did meet him once, and, uh, and, and he, was, he was hilarious. And uh, talked all kinds of nonsense and stuff. But a wonderful man, Slim Gaylord. So, uh, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, as you heard. Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet. 
uh, Jack McVie on tenor saxophone, Dizzy Gillespie as or as Slim call him, Daz Max Kibben Rooney on the trumpet there. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Dodo Marmorosa on piano, who was Slim's regular pianist, um, Bam Brown on bass, and Zudi Singleton on drums. And of course, Mr. Gaylord on guitar and vocal, and these were all his tunes. Flatfoot Flugy, Poppity Pop, and of course, Slim's Jam. We're going to hear more of Slim Gaylord right now with a thing called Laughing in Rhythm. Here's Slim, and a couple more things after this. And think that you're a killer, but you still ain't got nowhere till you see J.C. Patrilla. 
Got the Federation blues, Rooney. The Federation blues, and Federation blues, blues like beer. You pay your joining fee, then you go see the dues man. If you race from the Federation, you see Leo Kluzman, the Federation Blues. The Federation Blues. Oh, got the Federation Blues. Oh, Rooney, Blues, I can be. You must get the scale whether more or cheaper. But when you pay your tax, it goes to Harry J. Steve, the Federation Blues. The Federation Blues. The Federation Blues of Vaulted Blues. I can be old Rooney. You may own a Cadillac, Buick, a Mercury, or even a Ford. But when you break the rules, you meet the executive board. I got the Federation Blues. The Federation Blues. Oh, Rooney. Got the Federation Blues. 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 I can be. Oh, Bauti. La Horuti. Blue, 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 blue. up with a song with the instrument and vocal hit the federation Chicken bit them. 
When the rooster start to crow, then you know it's full. Just about the break of day, there's a pop, 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 Chicken with them. Kibiseni, a kibida, and la hamisha mag vaute, yabrak. 
harisi, a la mishwe chili and tomato sauce so bauti, harisi, kibisendi ekibiba and la hamisha mak booty, yevrak, harisi, la hum la homak booty mo. Keep it seen here, keep it seen out there, keep it seen rooty, keep it seen lamb and rooney, oh, vooty, la ho, vooty mo. Super vooty mo, guy. Little spice, oh, mag, vosey, yep, rock. Harise, keep it seen here, keep it back, and la ho, miss your mag, vooty, yep, rock. Harise. We had a little taste of Slim Gaylord. We heard three tunes, um, actually four, no, three, <laughs> from uh, uh, a, comp, um, a compilation album of uh, different, uh, from, with, with different people. I, actually, I said that Slim wasn't political. Well, he was kind of in the first tune we heard. It's called the Federation Blues. And um, really, it was a little bit of a diatribe as to the Musicians' Union um, which a lot of musicians feel <laughs> was uh, an organization that they had to join, but it didn't do them much good. And, of course, you had to pay dues, and uh, they always took a little chunk out of your paycheck as well. <laughs> but they didn't do any good for you, but um, that sort of thing. So that's what the Federation Blues was about. That was the first tune we heard, uh, which was uh, political in terms of uh, uh, musicians. The second tune was a real piece of nonsense. Of course, it was called Chicken Rhythm. Um, and uh, Slim doing uh, his uh, second best imitation of a, of a chicken or a rooster. And some good people in the band. We heard Taft Jordan on trumpet and our man that does our theme song, Benny Green on trombone and some other folks. In the Federation Blues, by the way, there was a nice tenor saxophone solo by Buddy Tate, great player. Um, so we heard Federation Blues, Chicken Rhythm, and the final tune was another piece of Slim Gaylor's nonsense done sort of uh, uh, a mixture of um, his version of what he thinks Arabic sounds like and, and just his nonsense words. And that was a big hit, actually, and it was called Yip Rock Heresy. <laughs> Yip Rock Heresy. And um, with uh, Slim on guitar and Maceo Williams on piano, Clyde Lombardi on bass, and Charlie Smith on drums. Anyway, uh, three tunes by the inimitable Slim Gaylord, master of silliness and, and stuff, and uh, just a great person that was on the jazz scene for so many years and celebrating uh, what we think is his birthday. Uh, his birth certificate has never been found, so there's... Uh, there's doubts as to maybe he wasn't born on January 4th, 1916. But he definitely was born, and uh, he definitely was around for 75 years doing all this kind of nonsensical stuff. We're going to turn now to a live performance by someone who I'm quite well acquainted with, Lou Donaldson. Papa Lou Donaldson on alto saxophone, one of the great voices. This goes back to um, a gig recorded at the Bonton Club in Buffalo, New York, in August of 1965 with Lou's working band. He had the late Bill Hardman on trumpet, Billy Gardner on organ, Warren Stevens on guitar, and a very fine drummer just up from New Orleans named Leo Morris. Leo Morris went on. Um, he took on the Muslim faith and uh, changed his name and became Idris Muhammad, 
which is what uh, he is best known as. But his original birth name was Leo Morris. Great drummer. He's on here. And we're going to hear the speaking voice to introduce this tune. This is the title track, Lou Donaldson composition. The tune is called Fried Buzzard. And we're going to hear Lou introduce this tune. And you got to check out his speaking voice. It's very distinctive. Thank you very much. That's Billy Gardner, dog, in the house. This time, we're going to play a new composition that we just composed when we traveled through that wonderful state of Louisiana. We spotted this bird out, so we had to get out and check it. And we wrote a tune about it. It's called Fried Buzzard. <laughs> Thank you. 
I've been asked to introduce the members of the aggravation. On the trumpet, we have a young gentleman, I mean a gentleman, who's appeared with several of the leading jazz groups, Art Blakey, Horace Silver, Philly Joe Jones, Charlie Mingus, Jimmy Reed, Freddie and the Dreamers, Dave Clark Five. Let's give him a nice round of applause, Bill Hardman. Bill Hardman. Bill Hardman. Better known as Sweet Willie. That's right. Now we have on the guitar a young man who's making his first appearance here in Buffalo. He's a young gentleman from Columbus, Ohio. I mean, well, he's a gentleman from Columbus, Ohio. Very sensational guitarist. Let's give him a tremendous round of applause. Warren Stevens. Warren Stevens. At the organ, we have a young fella from the Bronx. In case you're not familiar with the Bronx, that's in New York City. Up by Yankee Stadium. And his name is Billy Gardner. Billy Gardner at the organ. Now, the young man on the drums is making his first appearance in the United States, so let's give him a nice welcome. From New Orleans, Louisiana, <laughs> we have Leo Morris on the drums. Give him a nice welcome. In case you're wondering where I'm from, I'm from heaven, I mean Harlem. Some people call it heaven. The inimitable voice of Lou Donaldson, Papa Lou Donaldson, one of the funniest dudes you're ever likely to run into. And, of course, uh, I had to include that. And he introduced everyone in the band, himself on alto saxophone, Bill Hardman on trumpet, Billy Gardner on the organ, Warren Stevens on guitar, and Leo Morris, who... Um, very soon became Idris Muhammad on drums. And that was uh, the title track from this album, which came, at, came out on Cadet Records. It was recorded in Buffalo, as you might have gathered, at the Bonton Club in August of 1965. And uh, we heard the title track, and of course that's Lou's composition called, as he would say, this one is called Fried Buzzard. <laughs> Lou Donaldson. All right. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we're going to pay tribute to actually three birthdays which took place. uh, And these three guys are playing on this classic session. Today is the birthday of one of the masters of the flute and tenor saxophone. His nickname was Magic. He was born in Kansas City in 1922 on this day, January 4th, and he lived a good long life. He passed away in 2013, and I'm talking about the great Frank Wess, put in many, many years in the Count Basie band, and of course was one of the most wonderful exponents of the flute and tenor saxophone. He played here once at Corey Weed Cellar, and it was a tremendous event, sold out every night. Frank Wess. So he's on here, 
And as I said, his birthday is today. On January 1st was the birthday of the great Milt Jackson, one of the, if the if not the leading voice, I suppose, Milt Jackson could be classified along with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie as the pioneer of the modern concept of the vibraphone. And Milt Jackson was definitely a jazz master, January 1st, 1923 in Detroit. So, and on drums, Kenny Clark, who was featured on our jazz feature earlier on. His birthday is the 2nd of January, uh, and uh, Kenny Clark passed away. He went to live in Europe. From 1956 on, uh, Kenny left the country and became a citizen of France and, of course, died over there and had a great, long, uh, artistically satisfying career. Kenny Clark, of course, again, uh, sharing along with uh, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Milt Jackson, Bud Powell, a pioneer of modern jazz, one of the great um, first modern jazz drummer, Kenny Clark. Kenneth Spearman Clark. All right, three Capricorns in this session, along with Hank Jones on piano and Eddie Jones, no relation, on bass. Eddie Jones at the time was the bassist with the Count Basie Orchestra, a very fine really strong bass player. We're going to hear some tunes from this album called Opus de Jazz, and it came out on Savoy Records. It's one of Milt Jackson's finest albums, one of my favorites. This is an album I grew up with. As a matter of fact, this is an album that I turned a lot of people or attempted to turn a lot of people that professed to have hated jazz, and a lot of people did. There's always haters out there. Or people that, that sort of dismiss jazz. They don't know what it is, and they've never really heard it, but they, they just say, oh, jazz, no, that's awful stuff. You know, you can't, there's no melody, there's, you know, there's, you can't make any sense out of it, and blah, 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 all these kind of negative stuff. So I used to use this record to, to kind of um, try and quietly convert people. Uh, to jazz. And, you know, it worked a couple of times, too. So we're going to hear an extended version of uh, Horace Silver's great composition to open the set, Opus de Funk. And this features Frank West on the flute. As I said, he was one of the leading voices of that instrument. The second tune is a slow blues called Opus Pocus, and it features Frank on tenor saxophone. And we hear his uh, gorgeous sound and uh, wonderful concept. So... Mill Jackson on vibes, Frank West on flute and tenor saxophone, Hank Jones on piano, Eddie Jones, no relation, on bass, and Kenny Clark on drums. And sit back and enjoy this stuff. We begin with Opus Defunct.
We heard a couple of tracks by some people who recently celebrated birthday anniversaries. And uh, today was the birthday of the flutist and tenor saxophone master. Or I should say the flute master and the tenor saxophone master, Mr. Frank Wess, originally from Kansas City, born in 1922 and uh, lived uh, to a ripe old age and uh, died in 2013. Great, great player. Well-loved by everybody. His nickname was Magic, and um, he certainly uh, delivered on this uh, classic recording, playing the flute and tenor saxophone, Frank West. And on January 1st was the birthday anniversary of the leader of the band, vibist Milt Jackson. And to, uh, on the 2nd of January was the birthday anniversary of the great drummer, Mr. Taste, and uh, one of the great modern jazz pioneers, Kenny Clark on drums. Three Capricorns in that band, and uh, Milt Jackson on vibes, Frank West on flute and tenor saxophone, Kenny Clark on drums. We also heard some great piano work by the wonderful Hank Jones. What a beautiful touch on the piano. And on bass, the strong, pulsating Eddie Jones on bass. No relation to Hank. Eddie Jones was employed in at that time as the bassist with the Count Basie Orchestra. This was recorded for Savoy Records in Rudy Van Gelder's studio October 28, 1955, and the album was called Opus Du Jazz. And we heard two tunes, Opus Du Funk by Horace Silver and an original by the band called Opus Pocus was the slow blues. So we hope you enjoyed that uh, little birthday tribute to these uh, great jazz gentlemen. We're going to come back with some Charlie Parker. Just to remind you that this is the jazz show on CITR, FM 101.9, or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Gavin Walker's my name, and we'll be right back after this. Offered through the First Nations and Indigenous Studies Program, FNIS 401G, Indigenous Law and the Settler State, is a three-credit course being taught by New Channel scholar Johnny Mack in Term 2. This course will focus on the relationships between Indigenous law, state law, and policy, whilst taking up key issues of their legal agency in the lawmaking process. Please visit fnis.arts.ubc.ca for more information. like friends? Well, we like you, so become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at Anti-Social Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit CITR.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. the classics with a twist. Join me, Marguerite, with Classical Chaos Sunday mornings starting at 9, right here on CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver, Canada. Charlie Parker. We haven't heard Charlie Parker for a long time 
on the JS show. This is, um, we're going to play four tunes that they recorded for Savoy Records um, in 1948. This was Charlie Parker's working band, recorded in September 24th, 1948 in New York City. And this was the final uh, set of recordings that he did for this small label. And up to this time in his career, he, he'd only recorded for small labels, uh, such as Dial and other independent labels and Savoy Records. He was about to be signed by Norman Grants, the great uh, entrepreneur, and Charlie Parker would then begin recording for Mercury Records and Norman Grants' own labels, uh, um, Clef, Norgran, and what what uh, later became Verve Records, so a big label. So these were Charlie Parker's final recordings for a small independent label, and, and they feature four original compositions by Bird, uh, Charlie Parker on alto saxophone, on trumpet, Miles Davis, who was part of uh, Charlie Parker's entourage for several years. This is Miles was... Um, just beginning his career at the time, and this was a great prestigious position for young Miles. On piano, um, it was actually at Miles' suggestion that he, um, Charlie Parker uh, changed piano players. His piano player uh, had been Duke Jordan, and Miles um, preferred John Lewis on piano, and Miles and John Lewis became best of friends. So John Lewis is on piano here. On bass, the great Curly Russell, Curly Russell on bass, and on drums, the one and only Max Roach. Four compositions by Charlie Parker. We begin with Perhaps, then we move to a, a tune called Marmaduke, and then we uh, go to a, a Charlie Parker classic that became a jam session favorite, a tune called Steeplechase. And the final tune is an up-tempo thing called Merry-Go-Round. So here then are the final four master takes from Charlie Parker's final session for the small Savoy label. We begin with perhaps. Thank you. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we didn't uh, hear those tunes, but uh, we heard four tunes. The last um, group of tunes that uh, Charlie Parker recorded for the small Savoy label before he moved on to uh, bigger and um, supposedly better things with Norman Grants and Mercury Records and uh, a major label. And uh, But these four tunes are classics. They're four Charlie Parker compositions featuring his then-working band, recorded September 24th, 1948, in New York City. First tune we heard was uh, a blues and C called Perhaps. The second tune was a great, uh, a great tune, rarely played. I, I love the tunes called Marmaduke. And the third tune actually became a jam session staple, and the tune is called Steeplechase. And the final tune was a, an up-tempo thing called Merry-Go-Round. And we heard Charlie Parker, of course, on alto saxophone with Miles Davis on trumpet, John Lewis at the piano, Curly Russell on bass, and Max Roach on drums. And uh, those four tunes wrapping up Charlie Parker's career with small record labels. Mm-hmm. Well, we have um, a little bit of uh, information for you, and uh, we'll be right back right after this uh, important uh, message. I think it's important. We have to know about these things, don't we? And a few other things I'd like to tell you about. So uh, check this out. intro, of course, is uh, usually tells you about the weather, and that's what we're going to do. Um, tonight, they say uh, it's going to become partly cloudy, and there's a 40% chance of some flurries overnight with a low of zero. Pretty cold out there. And then tomorrow, flurries, then changing to rain late in the morning with a low of zero and a high of plus three. Then on Wednesday, cloudy with a 70% chance of a shower, warmer, with a low of 2 and a high of 8. And then Thursday and Friday, just cloudy with uh, temperatures between uh, 1 and 5. So the low being 1, the high being 5. Not tropical, but, uh, you know, acceptable anyway for January. Then Saturday and Sunday, they're actually calling for cloudy skies, but a 60% chance of flurries or showers with lows between minus one and highs up to two or three. So there is a chance this weekend of maybe uh, a little bit of the white stuff, how much it'll stick and how much we'll get. We really won't know until it happens. So there you go. But, um, well, you know, there's lots of snow on the mountains and lots of snow up in Whistler. That's, uh, that's a good thing. And that's a good thing for, uh, for us and all those people that are involved uh, in running the, uh, 
the whole ski business, which is huge for British Columbia. People come here from all over the place to ski because we have some of the best skiing in the world. All right. So there we have that. Now, what I'd like to tell you about is a couple of great websites to uh, go on to. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And that website, of course, is coastaljazz.ca. These folks do, do not sleep. There's all kinds of things going on, and they have a great and comprehensive website. And uh, it's worth your while to just get on there, check out the site, and uh, find out what's going on in and around Vancouver. Um, it's really worth your while. And that site is, uh, as I said, it's very complete. There's lots of uh, lots to look at and lots to see. So uh, do make a point to, uh, to check it out. Coastaljazz.ca. And the other, the other great website is the website put together by my old friend Brian Nation, and that's VancouverJazz.com. Lots of good stuff on there, uh, conversations, um, opinions, and uh, all, all kinds of links on there, musicians' biographies and all sorts of stuff. And uh, Brian does his best to keep it up to date, and, uh, and that is a very fine website as well. And, of course, I always mention my good friend Ken Speller, who is a wonderful music teacher. He has a business called Music at Home. And uh, if you have someone in the family that's interested in um, learning a, a, a reed instrument, clarinet, flute, saxophone, um, Ken Speller's the guy to call because he's an excellent teacher. And he'll come to your home and uh, teach you how to play those instruments and give you uh, proper instruction and, and uh, what to do and, and, uh, and proper teaching. That is only one aspect of his business. The other side is repairing instruments he and he does this very well he's uh, he's top-notch he has his uh, a whole workshop in his home so he doesn't have the overhead of a store uh, to pay for so he keeps his prices very very reasonable and a lot of professional musicians go to Ken Speller to get their uh, keep their instruments in shape and if you're an amateur a pro a student whatever you have to play on a, on a decent instrument. At least uh, it doesn't have to be a top-notch instrument, but it has to be in good shape. Just like a car, instruments need tuning up, and especially saxophones and flutes, clarinets. They have a lot of moving parts on there, and Ken's the guy to do it. So he's at 778-800-1933. That's how you can reach him by phone, 778-800-1933. He's located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. And he's also, um, you can catch him by email too, which is a K Speller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. K Speller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. All right. We are going to play you some music by uh, one of the great big bands, which uh, performs, this is an L.A.-based band, and it's led by the legendary Bill Holman, and uh, this is an album that was recorded in 2004, and it features uh, some of the real movers and shakers of uh, jazz music in Los Angeles. Uh, On trumpets, Carl Saunders, one of the greats, Pete DeSiena, Ron Stout, 
and Bob Summers. What a trumpet section, led by Carl Saunders. On trombones, Jack Redman, Bob Evelson, Andy Martin, and Craig Gosnell. On reeds, on lead alto, one of the greats, Lanny Morgan, Bruce Babad, and my good friend Doug Webb on tenor saxophone, Ray Herman on tenor, and Bob Efford on baritone saxophone. On piano, Christian Jacob, on bass, Joel Hamilton, and on drums, Kevin Canner. These are the main guys that um, Bill Holman hires. This was uh, recorded at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in Los Angeles, California, September 30th, 2004. We're going to hear an introduction in a piece of music called Woodrow, and uh, we'll play something else from this album, too, but uh, we'll find out what it is later. So here's the great Bill Holman Orchestra, and here's the intro. Please help me welcome, again, my great pleasure, as always, to introduce the Bill Holman Band. Thank you, Ken. We're going to start out tonight with a piece dedicated to Woody Herman. It's called Woodrow. And if you listen closely, you might hear a reminiscence of Woody's theme, Blue Flame. Then we get into our own stuff. Anyway, here it is. It's called Woodrow. <laughs>
Summers, Kristen Jacobs, Ray Herman. Given the state of Yeah, I meant to uh, play a little more. Uh, the CD kind of stopped here, but uh, I think we may have it together here. I think. Let's give it a try. Sometime in the program, I usually introduce the fellows in the band to you. On piano, we have Christian Jacob. <laughs> Joel Hamilton on bass. <laughs> Kevin Canner on drums. Trumpets, without looking. <laughs> Bob Summers, Carl Saunders, Kate DeSiena, and Ron Stout. <laughs> Trombone, Bobby Nevolson, Jack Redman, Andy Martin, and Craig Gosnell. <laughs> Saxophones, left to right, Doug Webb, Ray Herman, Lanny Morgan, Bruce Babad, and Bob Efford. Here's a, uh, an old bebop hit, Donna Lee, solos by Christian again, and Bobby Nevolson, and Doug Webb, Donna Lee.
question. Bobby Revolton. Doug Webb. This is a song I learned at the Lighthouse. It's Frank Rosalino's Blue Daniel and solos by Ron Stout and Bruce Babad.
Ron Stout and Bruce Babad. We've just been listening to uh, the Bill Holman Band. The CD got stuck there for a minute, but it uh, seemed to write itself. And we heard some more music that I intended to play. Um, it's always <laughs> terrible on live radio when uh, a CD gets stuck and you do a big uh, hollabaloo introduction and everything else, and then the CD doesn't play. And then you've got to backtrack and uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. That's the fun of live radio. It's uh, uh, spontaneous, <laughs> like the music sometimes. And we heard the Bill Holman Band is recorded at the um, Four Point Sheraton Hotel in Los Angeles, California, September 30th, 2004. And, of course, Mr. Holman is one of the um, great big band writers. Uh, he's getting on in years, of course, but uh, he keeps this band together, and they work occasionally, and they're made up of the cream of the crop of uh, Los Angeles musicians. And um, Bill did his best to uh, introduce everybody and introduce the band. So we heard an introduction, and then the first tune was uh, a Bill Homan composition dedicated to Woody Herman called Woodrow and featured solos by Carl Saunders on trumpet and on uh, tenor saxophone Ray Herman. Then um, we, went, uh, we heard the band introduction, then we heard a great version of Donna Lee, and uh, that features some great solos by uh, Bob and Evelson on trombone and my good friend Doug Webb on tenor saxophone. And the final tune was the delightful original composition. Uh, incidentally, Charlie Parker wrote Donna Lee, by the way, but uh, Holman arranged it for the big band. And uh, the last tune was written by trombonist, the late trombonist Frank Rossellino, and, of course, one of his charming compositions called Blue Daniel. And... Um, we heard Ron Stout uh, on that and uh, Andy Martin on, uh, or um, not um, Andy Martin, but uh, Bruce Babat on alto saxophone soloing on that tune. And uh, the rhythm section, I'm not going to run down all the names again. The ry rhythm section, Christian Jacob on piano, Joel, Hamil Joel Hamilton on bass, and Kevin Canner on drums. The Bill Holman Band, so we hope you enjoyed that album, or parts of that album, the Bill Holman Band Live. Nothing better than live music. We're going to turn to a historic date featuring a young Sonny Rollins from the 1950s, 1953 to be exact. And, um, well, in those days, um, and Sonny Rollins, of course, uh, uh, about a year or so later straightened himself out, but uh, Sonny was um, going through some um, youthful... Um, transgressions, shall we say, and um, he had occasion to, uh, to pawn his saxophone uh, periodically uh, for necessary money, and um, his saxophone was in the pawn shop, and so he's playing on a rented horn that was rented <laughs> by uh, pianist John Lewis, a, a most responsible individual. Sonny, of course, kept his mouthpiece and a selection of reeds and um, is playing on this uh, borrowed, rented horn for this, uh, um, these four tunes, which came out on a Prestige 45. I wish there was more from this session, but this is kind of historic because this is Sonny Rollins with the Modern Jazz Quartet. And, of course, we heard uh, the Modern Jazz Quartet was the longest 
uh, one of the longest uh, um, established jazz groups in the history of the music. We have uh, Milt Jackson on Vibes, John Lewis, the musical director on piano, and the guy that's responsible for getting Sonny the saxophone here, um, and uh, on bass, Percy Heath. And the original drummer with the band was Kenny Clark, and he's featured on here. But this is really a feature for Sonny Rollins, and this is Sonny Rollins and the Modern Jazz Quartet. And uh, we're going to open with a Sonny Rollins composition called The Stopper, and you'll, you'll know what I mean when you hear it. And then the second tune is a great Duke Ellington ballad called In a Sentimental Mood. And uh, Sonny plays quite beautifully on this one. Um, tune number three is dedicated to Sonny's friend, pianist Elmo Hope, and it's called No Mo. And the final tune is a standard tune, and, of course, it's a, a great up-tempo, nice not up-tempo, medium-tempo version of a tune called Almost Like Being in Love. It's a show tune. Sonny Rollins, uh, when this was recorded, was uh, uh, basically not really well-known outside of New York circles. Uh, he was kind of um, an underground musician at that time and subject to some of the vagaries of um, the times, shall we say, which is why his horn was in the pawn shop. But these are great recordings, and I hope you enjoy. Sonny Rollins meets the Modern Jazz Quartet, recorded in October of 
Sonny Rollins and the Modern Jazz Quartet, one of uh, Sonny's early triumphs, done in October of 1953, actually was issued on a Prestige 45, and uh, only those four tunes were recorded. But, uh, yeah, it's great stuff, and uh, Sonny sounded good on that uh, rented tenor saxophone. (laughs) John Lewis had to had to do that for Sonny because his regular horn was in the pawn shop, as it often was in those days. And uh, Sonny really sounding good. And uh, the Modern Jazz Quartet, of course, providing uh, great backing for uh, Sonny. Milt Jackson on vibes, John Lewis on the piano, uh, Percy Heath on bass, and the original drummer with the Modern Jazz Quartet, Kenny Clark. We heard... uh, Four tunes, beginning with uh, Sonny Rollins' tune called The Stopper. That opened the set. And then um, a great Duke Ellington tune, In a Sentimental Mood, the ballad of the set. Then a Sonny Rollins original, uh, kind of a snaky thing called No Mo, dedicated to his friend Elmo Hope. And the final tune was a standard from a show tune called Almost Like Being in Love. Sonny Rollins. We're going to close this show with another Sonny, but this is a Sonny alto saxophonist. This is Sonny Chris, William Sonny Chris from Los Angeles, California. Actually, he was born in Memphis, but raised in Los Angeles and spent most of his uh, life there, except for uh, in the uh, mid-60s, did a trip to Europe on his own and then came back home. But uh, he, he suffered from musical neglect. Uh, I think he was one of the greatest alto saxophonists. Um, one of the greatest. Uh, nobody is the greatest. And uh, most of the great saxophone players will tell you that. But Sonny Chris is on that same high level as you know, we think of Charlie Parker. We think of Cannonball Adderley. Uh, we think of um, Vincent Herring today. Uh, Sonny Stitt, um, Sonny Chris. And Sonny is, sad to say, often overlooked. He is such a tremendously powerful player with his own concept and his own sound. It's amazing that he didn't get more recognition in his rather um, unhappy musical career. He was, he was always frustrated, and it never went the way uh, with the kind of success that he wanted it to do. One of his great albums was called Up, Up, and Away. We're not going to hear that tune from that album. It's a prestige album recorded in August of 1967 after his triumph at the Newport Jazz Festival. And he basically took the same band into the studio and recorded some tunes. We're going to hear three tunes to close the evening. Sonny Chris with the great Tal Farlow on guitar. Cedar Walton on piano, Bob Cranshaw on acoustic bass, and Lenny McBrown on drums. And we're going to open with the Bobby Hebb uh, specialty, a great tune, Sonny. And then we're going to move to a Charlie Parker original, Scrapple from the Apple. And the final tune is a Sonny Chris original dedicated to his stay in Paris in the mid-60s, and it's called the Paris Blues. And we close our show this evening with the great and often unheralded Sonny Chris. Check him out if you are not familiar with him. Here we go.
powerful and incredible alto saxophone stylings of the one and only Sonny Chris. Sonny Chris. And this was uh, recorded in August of 1967 for Prestige Records. The album is called Up, Up, and Away. It's one of Sonny's best. The critics loved it. They gave it uh, a great rating. And um, as I mentioned before, Sonny Chris had a rather kind of an up-and-down career, more neglect than anything else. He was constantly, he wasn't the guy that people talked about, and yet he was one of the greatest exponents and most individual um, modern jazz alto players out there, Sonny Chris. And um, this is a such a fine recording with Tal Farlow on guitar, Cedar Walton on piano, Bob Cranshaw on bass, and Lenny McBrown on drums. And this was recorded just after Sonny's triumph at the uh, Newport Jazz Festival in Newport, Rhode Island. And he went into the studio and did this album and then flew back, as he always did, to his home in Los Angeles. In uh, South Central Los Angeles, Sonny lived in Watts with his, uh, with his mom, actually, right up until his dying day. Great musician. So that concludes another edition. Oh, and the tunes we heard, uh, we opened with uh, Bobby Hebb's great classic, Sonny. Then we went to a burning version of Charlie Parker's Scrapple from the Apple. And the final tune was the blues. And it was Sonny Chris's composition called the Paris Blues. And so ends our first edition of The Jazz Show for the new year. We're going to be back with the jazz feature next week of a recording that you've never heard. It's by Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers, but it was never released. It's, um, you can't even call it a rare recording because what happened was this, the band went in and did some, a great studio recording, but Blue Note decided and Art Blakey decided to make a record a couple of weeks after the studio recording in Birdland and do the record live with basically the same repertoire. So this session was then uh, not issued and totally forgotten about. And we're going to hear that uh, next week on The Jazz Show. That's going to be our jazz feature. So this is an Art Blakey recording that you've never heard. Okay? With a great band with... uh, the trumpet sensation, Lee Morgan, Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, Bobby Timmons at the piano, Jimmy Merritt on bass, and, of course, Art Blakey on drums. And it cooks. It's a great session. Should have been released. Never was. So that's what we're going to hear next week, and uh, we hope you can join us uh, on The Jazz Show. My name's Gavin Walker. This has been another edition, the first edition in 2016. We hope that you stayed for some of the show, and if you stayed for all of it, wonderful. We'll be back next Monday, same time, same station, 9 o'clock on Monday. You are listening to CITR-FM 101.9 on your computer, www.citr.ca, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Take care, and... uh, Enjoy the environment. (laughs) It's 2016. Have a great time. It will be a great year. I know it.
Do you do we?